Welcome to the Souls Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soulischurch.com. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and he established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise be to our God. Many will see it in fear, and will trust it in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Check, check. Good morning, good morning. Let's thank Bailey for doing that. Appreciate it, Bailey. Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Good to see you all. I am not uh, intending to do an impression of Kermit the Frog right now, in case you're wondering. I've got this uh, stupid little head cold thing. And so bear with uh, this, the sound of this. I can't bear to hear this, so I hope you're going to, we'll make it, we'll make it through it today. I want to welcome everyone. My name is Andrew. If I haven't met you yet, uh, yeah, I would love to, and I get the real joy of pastoring our our community here. And a lot of exciting things going on in our church right now, a special weekend, of course, with Memorial Day weekend, um, where as a a nation, as a whole, we are uh, taking some time to um, remember uh, the sacrifice of those that have put themselves second for a greater purpose, um, being inspired by that, being thoughtful uh, to that end, remembering um, that all that we have has come at, at, at other people's sacrifice. And that's a tremendous thing for us not to forget uh, and also not to just remember once a year. Um, and so as, as people of God, we want to be people of gratitude. We are people of recognition, uh, tracing back everything we, we have to um, the honor of, of those who have paved the way for that. And so um, obviously a special weekend in that regard to remember that. Um, and then also, as Kyle said, kind of inaugurating the summer season. I, I don't know like if it's summer scientifically. When does that exactly happen? I'm not sure. There's, okay, you know, whatever. What do they know, right? Um, you know, those scientists. It's summer in my heart. I don't know about you. Um, we were at the beach yesterday morning, and, and I don't, listen, I'm not a meteorologist, but it's summer, okay? I'm just declaring it summer. I'm like the Groundhog Day guy or something for summer. I'll just stop talking about that. Um, listen, we have a lot of exciting things going on this summer, as Kyle mentioned, uh, from our groups um, uh, to uh, some new classes that we'll have with, for, for new members. But uh, this morning, super excited to get into our new series. Uh, we've entitled it Summer playlist, summer playlist. We are going to be, for the next 10 weeks or so, uh, looking at the greatest hits from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, the largest book in your Bible, 150 chapters long. We just had Bailey read from chapter 40. Um, It contains 150 different songs that God has inspired within the hearts of his people. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. And it would probably take at least 150 weeks to go through, Uh, and so as a little summer series, we are looking at sort of the mountain peaks of this beautiful mountain range of the Psalms, looking at, again, kind of tongue-in-cheek, the greatest hits. We've created a playlist here of the greatest hits, and we're going to be hitting shuffle, shuffle on the playlist, and every week we're going to be jumping around to a different Psalm, and Kyle mentioned you can submit your Psalm requests. You like that? All right. A lot of creativity into this series. I hope you appreciate it. Um, uh, Yeah, you can submit. If you have a favorite psalm, if if there's like your psalm, it's it's interesting. One thing that's so special about the psalms is 
it's rare that you ask someone, you know, if you ask three people, what is your favorite psalm, it's, it's likely that they're all going to be different. The psalms just has such a wide range of application and resonance with so many people and for so many reasons. And so, yeah, super excited about getting into this, this study. Uh, now, this morning, uh, we're going to begin today with sort of an introduction, all right, an introduction. Um, and kind of as a disclaimer, uh, this is going to be definitely a teaching. There's going to be some lecturing going on today. So I hope you brought your, your study, studious minds with you to church this morning. We're going to love God with our minds today. We're going to learn some more about God's word. And I believe this is going to be necessary to help us with our journey forward through the Psalms, especially only because we're going to be studying like 10 of them. And so we want to make sure we understand the broader context of what's going on. I do promise we will see Jesus in the message today. Our hearts will be stirred to love him, worship him, and follow him. Uh, there will be some preaching, I promise. It'll get to that at some points. Um, but that's just a little disclaimer. If you'd like to take notes, why don't you write down the title of the message this morning? And it is simply, The Power of the Psalms. The Power of the Psalms. That's kind of the heading, the big idea of what we want to explore. Uh, I really want to ask and answer two main questions today. Uh, those two questions are, what are the Psalms? What are they exactly? And secondly, why should we be in them? Why should we immerse? I'm going to advocate for us to always live in the Psalms as Christians. Um, we're going to see that modeled by Jesus. So why should we do that? What are the Psalms? And why should we study them? Why should we be in them? Uh, first as individuals and also as a church. Why would we study the Psalms? That's the goal. Um, I have two uh, resources here that I'd recommend to you because um, we're not going to be going through the whole book. Uh, two, the Psalms make for great devotionals. Uh, how many of you guys actually incorporate the Psalms into your daily devotional reading life to some degree? Anybody? A couple of you? One, two, let's go. Here we go. We're getting popular now. Three, four. All right. All of you, I'm sure, okay? Um, well, I'd encourage that. So there you go. That's the reason why we need to study the Psalms right there, okay? Um, but two great resources I recommend would be first, um, Tim Keller, uh, written alongside his wife, Kathy Keller, uh, wrote a year-long devotional on the Psalms called The Songs of Jesus. I'm going to say this is the best resource I have found as a daily devotional for the Psalms. And then in second place is a devotional that we actually gave out to our, our key volunteers and, and those uh, um, who play a key role here on Sundays. We gave this as a Christmas gift last year, um, and it's a devotional psalter. So this is all 150 psalms. Uh, Tim Keller's book is broken up 365 days, like one, one psalm for every day. It goes through all of them, whereas this is going to be a 150-day study going through uh, a psalm a day. And there's a little devotion attached to it, the devotional Psalter. That's another name for the Psalms. If you want to sound really theological, uh, when someone asks you, what are you studying at church? Just say, we're doing some studies in the Psalter. Just say that. And they'll be like, wow, okay. Um, so two great resources. Recommend them to you. Again, Tim Keller's The Songs of Jesus and the devotional Psalter, author unknown. We'll post it on the email or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, okay, so the power of the Psalms. Uh, let's get into this. I have two, I just want to say, I had two other alternative titles that, this is the cutting room floor. Uh, you know, we're getting really creative, so at one point I thought of calling the message today the sound cloud of witnesses. That didn't work out. Um, the other one was past the Psalter, okay? Um, 
We'll keep it vanilla, and uh, we'll just talk about the power of the Psalms. Let's pray together, and we'll get into our study. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the gift of this community, of your church. Lord, what a blessing to be a part of your family, to do life together, to walk with you together. And Father, as we now are um, kickstarting and beginning a new journey in your word through the Psalms, Every time we, we start a new study, we know that it, it marks, Lord, a, some new territory spiritually that you want to lead us into, that you want to take us into. And so, God, we, we know you have a plan and a purpose for this series, and we just commit it to you. And we ask, God, that your plan and your purpose for the Psalms in our church, we pray that it would come to pass in our lives, that you would work in our lives. And it would start this morning, that, God, you would use this time you use this moment for your purposes, God. We, we open up our lives and our heart to you. God, I am, I'm not at 100%. I don't know if I ever am, but I'm certainly not this morning. And so, as always, we just want to depend on you this morning to minister to us, to speak to us. God, I prepared a sermon, but I, I invite your Holy Spirit to fill me and to speak to us this morning. We give you this time and space. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, those sniffles, gotta love them. First question, we want to start this morning with a, with a question, get your mind kind of rolling around where we're headed in this study, this intro, this overview to the Psalms. I want you to think about this question. How have you in your life, this is very general, but how have you experienced the power of music? How have you experienced the power of of music. I don't think I've ever met someone who said to me, you know, I'm not really a music guy. That's kind of rare. You know, there's people that say I'm not a film guy, I'm not a sports guy, right? But it's pretty rare to find anyone that hasn't to some degree experienced the power of music. So what does that look looked like for you? Maybe there's a certain artist that you have been faithful to all these years, despite, you know, every, every band, for the most part, has their great albums, and then their, like, attempts at something different, not so great albums, but you kind of stick through as a loyal fan, maybe because of how impactful their music has been for you. Uh, I, I wonder, what is that for you? What kind of genre is that? I'm sure we all have that to some degree. Maybe for you, there is this album, and it is like, you would say, it is the greatest album to you of all time. Or it is maybe your favorite album. You, you know, I have a couple like that that I, um, anybody have an album that like you have never got tired of listening to? Isn't that interesting? There's some albums I'm like, I'm going to listen to this forever, and I do, and then I hate it. And then there's just some, I should say there are very few albums that have just stuck with me, have stuck by me. What is that for you? Uh, maybe there is even a song and it's your life song. It's a song that you go, when it comes on to, right, it's like, this is my song, right? This is my jam, right? Like, it's, it's your song. It's your tune, the power of music. Uh, maybe for you, the, your experience with the power of music has come from some sort of concert experience. When we talk about the power of music, maybe you can think about a concert you went to that has marked you for life. I have a few of those. Um, the, the point in all of this, obviously we're recognizing together, is that there is a special 
power to music. A special power to music that cannot be replicated by anything else under the sun. There's a power to music. And I, don't, I don't just mean like the physical power that music has, because it, it has that too. Like music has a literal power to where it comes on and people just start moving. You know that feeling where you're like, I, I just can't help but dance right now. That's the physical power. But, but we also know there's a very emotional power to music. The way that music can help you or make you feel a certain way. If you're down, music could potentially lift your spirits. Or if you're down, music can just make you feel like you're not alone from that breakup song in eighth grade. You know what I'm saying? There's a power to music, a, a physical power, an emotional power. Let me also say this. There's, in history, you see this. There is a uniting power to music. It's crazy how... Music is able to bring together all sorts of different types of people. To where you go to a concert and, and everybody there, they, it's like they have nothing in common except for this band that they resonate with. Or maybe you found that before. You met someone and they listen to the same band you do. And maybe it's, or like artists, but it's like either like, and usually this happens if it's like not mainstream, you know? Those mainstream music people. Oh, man. Like, you listen to mainstream? Like, I just listen to the the birds singing outside. That's how, like, hip I am, you know? But, like, there's, there's kind of that pretentious music thing, right? But maybe for you, you have, like, that artist that's so connected with you for a personal reason, and then you meet someone who loves that same artist, and you just feel like family all of a sudden. You're like, we could just share our experiences over the, over the songs together. Um, in fact, if you look at history, you see this point to be proven over and over again. Uh, I, I haven't done, like, a formal study on this. There, there might even be, like, a, a class in this in history. But history proves over and over again that there is a uniting power in music for people groups, uh, especially almost, like, in, in terms of bringing revolutionary results. There is a, let me say this, there's a revolutionary power to music. Uh, there's incredible examples of this throughout history, whether it's uh, some oppressed group that's, you, you think of Estonia in, in the 40s, they were prevented from, from uniting together and singing their anthems. And there was that protest by saying, we're going to sing this anyway. There's a certain liberating, revolutionary power to music. You think of the Beatles. You just think of those guys, those Beatles. Listen, fun fact for you this morning. This has nothing to do with the Psalms, but this is completely free, and it's going to change your life. Did you know the Beatles are spelled B-E-A-T-L-E-S? Because... It's beat, like the Beatles, like play the beat. And the whole idea was like to do the bug, you know, the Beatles. You knew that? Everyone knew that. All right. All right. You're welcome. I should have made it sound biblical, like from the Greek, you know, Beatles. And the, um, anyway, that was free. Um, so uh, moving on, uh, obviously we get the point here that music has this unique power to it. Now, when I think about this, I, I was thinking about this strongly. We're studying the Psalms. It's a book of music. I was thinking, what are some of the main components? Like, what is it about music, or where is it in music that there is this special power? And I thought of these two main components of music that contain power. In music, you have the power first of auditory beauty. Auditory beauty. And you know, it's fair to say that uh, this, the saying can be true with music, that beauty is often in the, we'll say, the ear of the beholder here. You know, like, for example, some people think modern country music is worth listening to. 
Beauty is in the ear of the beholder. Some people have a better beholding than others, um, but amen. Um, but auditory beauty, man, this is obviously the first thing that when we think about what's so powerful to music, it's the auditory beauty uh, that, that moves us, the sounds. It's interesting when you think about what music really is, music and the creation of music in terms of the sounds that are created, it's actually a fulfillment of what God put man on earth to do. I want you to think about this for a second. In the beginning, God created man, and he placed them in a world filled with raw materials that had unmatched potential to them if cultivated in the right way. Uh, that's actually where the word culture comes from. It comes from the word to cultivate. That's what man was created to do. God says, here's the raw materials. Uh, I'm not making the world in its final form. I'm making it in its almost seed form. And the job of man was to partner with God and to draw out the potential of creation. And so we do that in all sorts of ways. Like there's this incredible thing I had this morning called coffee. Thank God for the coffee bean, right? I mean, coffee is this thing we've cultivated from the earth. Now, music is the same thing. Isn't it cool? This was God's vision. Make beautiful things out of what I've created. Music is taking the raw material of sound and composing it, combining it, and cultivating it in such a way that you go from just a noise to a symphony. You go from a noise to a melody. Music is this divine act in a sense. I think there's this almost divine imago Dei power in it to where we are creating auditory beauty. Um, the second thing here is what makes music powerful is the lyrical meaning. Of course, that's another main component of this. Uh, lyrical meaning, the, the messaging and the, the language and, and the points that are made in a song. Uh, some of the best songs come from some of the most dark places, don't they? where you have this great depth of experience that brings to life this great richness of lyric, and it's something that you can resonate with. Now, uh, these two ideas combined, auditory beauty, lyrical meaning, sort of the, the secret behind the power of music, uh, they are perfectly fulfilled in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, you know, the, the word Psalms, in Greek, it's the word psalmos, psalmos. By the way, it's pronounced psalms, right? The P is silent. I made that mistake as a middle schooler. The psalms, whoa, right? It's the psalms, the P is silent. Also, just a little couple, we're going to just establish this on the front end, set some ground rules for the weeks ahead. When you're referring to a single psalm, it's just free. It's psalm and then whatever the chapter is. It's not psalms 23, okay? Just like it's not the book of Revelations, it's the book of Revelation, singular. It's, now, this might be a little pet peeve. I apologize. But it's not Psalms 23. There's only one of them. All right? So Psalm 23, a little helpful tip. And each of the Psalms, the different ones, they fall in line. In Greek, the idea of psalmos, it simply means this. This is an interesting idea. Psalmos means lyric accompanied by string instrument. In Hebrew, it's mesmer. And it's the opposite. It's stringed instrument accompanied by lyric. But it's, it's still the same. It's profound lyrics combined with musical instrument auditory beauty. Together, this is, seems to be a pretty cool insight about God. Together, make worship music here in the Psalms sung unto God. There's a point here about the fact that God is into music, and I think that's awesome. 
Like, God likes music. Like, he likes especially good music. He, he likes auditory beauty combined with lyrical meaning, uh, uh, driven from some of the most deepest places. And, and that is why he has given us, you know, he loves music so much that the largest book in the Bible is a book about music. It's a book of music. That's what the Psalms are. Uh, the Psalms in, in Hebrew, Tehillim, it means the book of praises or the book of songs. You have 150 songs recorded and documented here in this book that make up this collection of songs written from thousands of years of the history of God's people. Uh, written again from some of the deepest places. In the beginning, Bailey read this psalm to us as sort of a, a great kind of launching point to understand what we're studying this is a psalm of David, who is the main contributor to the book of Psalms. And he's, he talks about a time in his life where he had to wait patiently for the Lord. In other words, tough things were happening that made it look like God wasn't there. You ever felt that way? God, where are you? And even though you believe in the truth of God's presence, you're waiting faithfully for him to show up. And to reveal his presence to you. And so David's in a tough time. And he's saying, I waited. There was a time where I was waiting patiently for the Lord. And God inclined to me. He listened to me. He, he heard my cry. And he brought me up out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. And he set my feet upon a rock. And established my steps. And notice this. He has put a new song in my mouth. Now, when you read through the rest of Psalm 40, many scholars believe Psalm 40 is that new song that God put in his heart. But this is just so beautiful. This is what God has done. And this is not just for David. This is the whole book of Psalms. And at other times, I'm not sure if you've seen this before, where you're reading through the Bible and something happens, and then all of a sudden, that person who's just overjoyed in regards to what God has done, they just start singing a song. They just become like instant songwriters. Um, I wish I had this ability a little bit more, maybe like Dr. T up here in the front, who's an accomplished songwriter. I think of him. But this is a beautiful thing. You know, even in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, you remember when Adam sees Eve, he goes, whoa, man, all right? There she is. And he begins to sing over her this beautiful song. Many scholars have speculated that it's not until the fall of man in conversation with, with the serpent that man begins to dialogue kind of in a flat conversational way prior to the enemy. All you have, listen, the only kind of communication you have in Genesis is song. Could it be that song is the language of heaven? That would be cool, wouldn't it? Good to see you. Like when we get to heaven, that would be awesome. That's, again, that's free. a lot of free, sorry, a lot of random stuff today, all right? But we see this. This is a theme all throughout the scripture. Think of Mary. Think of Mary, the Virgin Mary, when she is told by the angel that you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit is going to conceive in you. What comes out of that? This new song that God produces. And listen, again, that is what you have in the book of Psalms. You have these fresh, new, God-inspired songs, poems, and prayers that have been produced, listen, from the depths of human experience. That's a key point here. Usually if it's kind of like a surface level person, it's probably like a surface level life experience. But it's a person that's had a deep level of life experience. And I don't just mean like you know it all, but you've gone through some stuff. That produces some of the deepest individuals. And when you open the book of Psalms, here's what you have. Listen closely. The Psalms, these inspired songs, 
they are filled with some of the highest praise that's sung from some of the deepest valleys in most difficult times. This musical collection, the book of praises. Now, like I said, let's get a little bit more information going here. Um, the Psalms are, are made up of 150 chapters. There's 150 songs, poems, and prayers in this book that are meant to be sung together and recited together. Um, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul commands the church. He says, sing to one another in Psalms, songs about God. 150 chapters, Ezra is accredited with uh, being the main one to compile the Psalms in their final form here. So they had, they had kind of been in different collections over the years of Israel's history as different psalms, but through Ezra's leadership, they become the 150. Something kind of interesting, and uh, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of, it, it's not 100% true, but many people have speculated, you know, when you look at the psalms, there's 150 of them, and if you read through your, your, your psalm book, you will see that it's made up of five different books. Have you ever noticed that? There's five sections to the book of psalms. And many scholars believe that as, the, as Ezra and as the leaders were compiling the Psalms and collecting them into these five sections, what they were intending to do was to mirror the first five books of the Torah, the Pentateuch, okay, Penta, like uh, Pentagon, a five. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so you have five divisions in the book of Psalms in chapters 1 through 150 that many people have speculated mirror uh, the different books of the Bible. Here's just, again, some more cool stuff. Psalm 1 through chapter 41, for example, tends to mirror the Genesis book concerning man. Psalm 42 through 72, um, it tends to reflect the Exodus book concerning Israel. Psalm 73 through 89 picture, uh, is, is uh, symbolic of the Leviticus book concerning the sanctuary. A lot of talk about God's people gathering together in his place and in his space. Psalm 90 through 106 is the Numbers book concerning the earth and the nations. That's a theme of the book of Numbers, is the spread of, of God's glory to all the nations through Israel. And you see that theme in that. And then Psalm 107 uh, through 150, I told you, bring your brains, right? we got a lot of information here, is, is, is symbolic of the Deuteronomy book concerning God's word. So kind of a, a cool way to see the divisions. Um, you know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says this exactly. So, you know, we should be careful not to make doctrines out of things that the Bible doesn't, uh, you know, explicitly describe. But nonetheless, I think it's God's little wink, like, hey, all right, this is cool. Um, when you look at the Psalms, you have these 150 books, and here are the main contributors. Something important to know that the, the book of Psalms is, is writings collected over a thousand years. It's a long time. It's a lot of music being written and put together in a songbook. 34 of the authors of Psalms are anonymous. These are called the Orphan Psalms. We don't know exactly who wrote them. 73 of them, to, uh, some speculate 75, but the most agreed upon number is 73 are attributed to David. I don't know why there's a period at the end of his name, but typo, I did that. Um, David. Um, David is called the sweet psalmist of Israel. So David is kind of your main, you know, when you have like an album and you have like the main guy and they got all these features from all these homies, you know. Like David's like, it's like kind of his album, you know. And we got a feature from Asaph, you know. He comes in with the hook and the chorus, you know. Um, that's not exactly what happens. Let's just forget that part, Okay. David, 73, Asaph is, uh, is responsible for contributing 12 psalms. 11 are attributed to the sons of Korah, 2 to Solomon, 1 to Moses, 1 to a guy named Haman, not He-Man, right? Haman, the He-Man Women's Haters Club, no. 1 is contributed to a guy named Ethan. 
So you have all these different authors uh, experiencing, listen, the same thing of Psalm 40. God puts a new song within their hearts. He puts a new song on their mouths. You know, it's interesting when you read Revelation in the last day, it says that God is going to lead the church to sing a new song. There's a day coming where we will join in that same spirit of singing a new song to the Lord. Uh, Let me show you kind of the breakdown of what the Psalms contain. There's a lot of different categories for the Psalms. If you read one person, they'll say there's seven kinds. If you read another, they'll say there's three kinds. There's probably more different kinds of Psalms if we really want to get into the nitty gritty, um, like nacho. You know, if we really want to get into it, there are probably more psalm categories than we can imagine. So I've done my best to kind of look at all of those. I hope everyone can see this. I've done my best to look at all of those and break them up into 10 categories. This is what I've kind of categorized here. Uh, The first we'll call messianic psalms. Those are psalms that point to the Messiah, fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Psalm 22 is the greatest, the most riches, uh, richest of all those messianic psalms. You have other psalms, and these are some examples of that. Uh, you have another psalm, which is a, what we'll call a penitential psalm. All right, this is uh, where you, as you read the psalms, you, what's amazing about the psalms is you are like encouraged to know that as a, sin, a sinner, a, a sinful man, who is constantly falling short of God's glory and God's plan for your life. Anybody know what that's like? Once a week or something? Okay, like at least once a week. Okay, good. Um, when you read this, yeah, let's go. Two hands up. All right. Uh, all the sinners say, hey, right? Um, uh, you know, when you read the Psalms, what you realize is you go, oh, I'm not alone as a sinner. Thank God. And not only am I not alone, but I'm in the company of the Old Testament saints that, you know, a guy like David, who God said is a man after his own heart. Okay, all right, I'm going to make it. Thank you for grace, God. All right? And so you read the Psalms. Penitential Psalms are these Psalms of repentance. And this is really a key, obviously, throughout the whole, whole scriptures, definitely a key of David's life. The question isn't if you are a sinner and if you are sinful and if you struggle with sin. That's not the question. That's already answered with the fact of yes. The question is how do you respond when you blow it? How do you approach God in your sin? How how Here's a better question. What is your comfort level with your sin? If you're fine, if you're okay, if you're kind of in a rut, uh, it's, it's likely that maybe you've quenched God's spirit from your life and you're living so much in the flesh that you have no ear to what God wants to do. That's a dangerous place to be. God, the, the issue is never you're sinful because God has provided for our sin through his mercy and his grace through the cross. The issue is that you're unrepentant. The issue is that you're unwilling to turn from your sin and trust in God. A lot of us, we're, we're afraid to do that because we think God is going to push us away, but it's amazing. You read the Psalms and you're like, oh, okay, I'm, it, humans, we, we, we mess up, but the thing that God is looking for is not a righteous person who doesn't fall down, but a righteous man who falls down seven times but gets back up again because he comes running back to Jesus. So I could preach on that. We will, okay? I'm, I'm preaching right now. Sorry, okay? Penitential. We'll get to those. I'll do a whole, whole sermon on that. Uh, Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament. This is, I think, a lost art among the people of God, especially in the West today. But learning how to grieve before God. Rather than stuffing how you feel because you know the truth. You know, um, Jesus himself quotes Psalms of Lament. So Psalms of Lament. Here's an example of a Psalm of Lament. I I call the Psalms of Lament the O God Psalms. Literally, like the OMG Psalms. Those are in the Bible. Let me give you an example of one. Um, O God, the proud have risen against me. Now, not OMG, like in like an OMG, like not like that, but like in a 
uh, uh, when you say that, like, it's like you're mindful of God. You're saying, God, you're crying out to him. You're lamenting. Oh, God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. So there's an example of that. This is David crying out a psalm of lament. Uh, some other examples here. This is an interesting category of psalms. I'm sure you've read these. They're called imprecatory psalms. Now, imprecatory, good word, right? Write that down. That's, a, that's one you pull out at lunch. And you go, I've just been digging into the imprecatory psalms of the Psalter lately. And all right, that's a good one. All right. To imprecate, imprecatory, to imprecate is to curse someone. You ever read those psalms? Imprecatory psalms. You're like, those are fun to read and think about my boss, you know? He's like, right? Those are the ones where you're like, you know, you make the mistake of thinking you're actually David running from Saul, and you like write the enemy, and you write like someone's name in there, like, yeah, get him, you know? It's like, we're going to talk about that, okay? Um, let me give you an example of these psalms. I want to say this before I show you one of these, because some of these are gnarly, okay? Some of these are like PG-13, maybe R, okay? Um, these are not psalms by which we should form our doctrine of how we should treat our neighbor. These are psalms that model honesty before God. And we're going to talk about how good that is. That's an important thing. All right, but let me give you a great example of an imprecatory psalm. Welcome to Souls Church. Here's Psalm 50, at 58, verse 6. Let's pray. <laughs> Break their teeth in their mouth, O Lord. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Mm. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if it's cut into pieces. This gets really heavy. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. What? Okay. That's awesome. Like, that's poetry. And then like a stillborn child of a woman, let them not see the sun. Hmm. It's like, that's the Bible, all right? That's someone who's like got a bully, and an enemy, and they're like, God, this is how I feel about them. You know, give them some dental problems, number one. I think the message translation says, punch the bully in the eye, oh God. I love that. Knock the bully between the teeth. Um, I like this phrase, let them like a snail melt away as it goes. Right? You ever seen the South Florida? Just the snail melting away along the sidewalk. Let them be. Next time you see a snail, you think of them, you go, let them be like that snail. Just kidding. We don't do that with these verses, okay? All right. That's a psalm of, uh, of imprecating, uh, imprecatory psalm. Psalms are fun. Psalms are fun. Wide range of human experience here in the psalms. Uh, <laughs> and then we go from God, may they not see the light of day to acrostic psalms. You know, like, so actually an acrostic psalm, Psalm 119, is actually the, the longest chapter in the Bible. Um, incredible chapter in the Bible. It's a chapter in the Bible that just, that just praises the Bible. It's so cool. It's like the Bible's awesome. 100, Psalm 119, all these different verses. Uh, and, it's, and it's written as an acrostic, so it's this real cool poetic practice where it's done in Hebrew alphabetical order. So you have eight verses, you have a Hebrew letter, and then you have eight verses, then the next Hebrew letter, then eight verses. It's really cool. Um, an acrostic psalm, you know, if you're reading Psalm 58, you're kind of imprecating someone, it's probably good to kind of balance that out with an acrostic psalm. Oh, an acrostic. Let's go to an acrostic psalm now. Okay. Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134 specifically are called Psalms of Ascent. And, and these were, listen to this, these were songs that were sung by caravans of Jewish travelers journeying towards upward towards Jerusalem for special holy days and feasts. 
All right, so you have the tra uh, Israel's travelers journeying towards Jerusalem, which was literally upward. And as they're ascending the hill, they are singing these beautiful psalms of ascent to the Lord. Um, and then you get into a category that we'll call hallelujah psalms. Those are the fun ones, right? Those are pretty easy. Hallelujah, pra which means praise the Lord. Just psalms praising God. You have historical psalms. Psalm 78 is psalms that are just retelling the story of, of God's work among his people in Israel. Uh, you have general worship psalms. Um, psalm 95 is an example of that. Uh, you, you could almost think of psalms as like a workbook on worship in a lot of ways. Like how does God desire to be worshipped by his people? This is an important fact. We're kind of in the church today. We're kind of like, what, like worship how we feel. Like, it's like, no, God gives in the book of Psalms. He gives like this is how I'm to be worshipped. We talked last week about the importance of spirit and truth in that kind of combination. But even like practically, you read Psalms and you're like, oh, okay, that's how God wants to be worshipped. And you get this picture of like the whole being. So some of us are like, you know, I'm not really like a physical worshiper. I don't ever do this. I'm not like those people and they always want that attention. It's what you think, right? I don't really do that. I'm more of like a emotional, like feel it in my bones kind of worshiper. And every now and then I'll give the Lord one of these. But you, those people that you, you're, like, you're like, I'm not like them, they're just obeying scripture. You read the Psalms, it's like, lift your hands. There's like instructions. Lift your hands, raise your voices, clap your hands, drop the bass. Like you go through it, and there's like all these little like specific instructions for how worship should be unto the Lord, the specific instruments and so on. I think of 1 Timothy 2 says that God desires men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. You know, one, one of the expressions that uh, arms raised in worship could, could resemble is the fact that these hands are, are unclean without Jesus, but these hands are holy through Jesus. We have all done things. We've, we've, we've done things in our life that make us feel ashamed, but when we raise our hands in worship, we say, Jesus has made me holy. I'm lifting up holy hands. I don't, I'm not ashamed. I'm not defined by the, by the things that I've done, by the mistakes that I've made. I'm in Christ, and I'm a new creation with holy hands. Amen. So, man, there, there's some great practices in that, and God calls us to that. So you have these general worship psalms. That's what the psalms are for. Uh, psalm 95, I would say, uh, so if, um, I almost said if. When you come to church on time, you know, for the start of worship, worshiping God, that whole thing, um, we begin our service. I know you all know this. You're here every morning for it. Um, we begin our service with a call to worship. And we, we've used Psalm 95 before. Psalm 95 says, come, let us sing to the Lord. We're reminding ourselves that what we're doing with music, it, you know, this is not like a pragmatic thing. Like, okay, how do we, what do we do? Like, we, we got to study the word. Maybe we just do some songs in the beginning, like a little buffer period. People are getting their coffee, they're coming, you know. It's like, no, we, we worship because it's theological. Because God's word instructs us to. We're, we're here for attention before 10 a.m., We've got our coffee already. That thing's ready at 9.45. Come on. All right, you get your coffee. You sit there, and you're preparing your heart. And then when the call to worship comes, by the way, it's not about us at all. Right? We're here to worship God. We're called into worship from God's word. This is a workbook on worship. Instructs us to, to sing to the Lord before anything else. Francis Chan has this great quote about worship. He talks about someone who was complaining about the worship songs. Like, I don't really like that song. That's what he said one time. I, that's good. How was the worship? Eh, it was all right. How was the worship? Think about that. How was the, the real question is, how was your worship? That should be the question. 
But the person said, how was the worship? Yeah, it was okay. I didn't really like this song. And, and, and Francis Chan says, well, it's a good thing we weren't worshiping you, right? <laughs> yeah, it was all right. It's like, what? Were you the object of the worship, right? And, and this is what worship, listen, worship is all about just getting our attention on God and his throne. And so, wow, we are, we are just, you know, getting distracted here. I can't help but preach on some of these things. They're so important, okay? Lastly, teaching. You have psalms that are, that are just instructional or didactic. They, they involve instruction and doctrine. Psalm 1 is a great example of this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. All right, so you have these different kinds of psalms. So 10 different categories of these psalms. And so if that's the, the first part, here's the second part. The second question I want to answer, and I'll, we're going to close with this second part here, is, okay, then why should we study the psalms? That's the big question here. Okay, we understand that the psalms are this, this songbook. You know, back then they didn't have any modern music recording equipment. They just had live music. And so the psalms were the collection of this, and, and we see the different versions uh, that the psalms take, the different kinds of psalms that are sung. And so here's the question we want to answer. Why, for the next 10 weeks, are we going to look at the greatest hits of psalms? And why should we, as followers of Jesus, live in the book of psalms? I'm going to advocate for, and I want to advocate here, that, that every healthy biblical diet, if you kind of have your plate and you're trying to get your food groups and nourishment, you want some New Testament theology. You want some Christ-centered New Testament doctrine. Uh, it's nice to have some, some of the Gospels in there as well, seeing the life of Jesus. That kind of goes together. It's good to have something in the Old Testament generally, remembering the story of God. To, we can make this mistake where we divorce the new from the old. And we've got to remember the Bible is one unified story. So, so somewhere you want on your plate of the Old Testament. Uh, reflecting on the, the history of God's work in his people, which never changes because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and then I would say, this is a little extra thing too, you want something from the book of Proverbs, just because, why not? Just because there's 31 of them, and you could just go whatever day of the month it is, you go, all right, that's my proverb of the day. And it's been said that an apple a day keeps the doctor away, a proverb a day keeps the stupid away, Okay. The stupid within is the idea, okay? Lastly, I would advocate for a nice hearty portion in your spiritual diet from the Psalms on a daily basis. On a daily basis, you want to be in the book of Psalms. And, and here's why, all right? Here's why. And I, I make that claim, and I want to back it up with the reasons why we're studying the Psalms and why you should stay in the Psalms. Number one is because of Jesus, Welcome to VBS day one, right? What's the answer? Jesus, all right? The number one reason, and this is the first and it's the number one reason why you should live in the Psalms is because, number one, because Jesus did. And we are, listen, we are followers of Jesus. Have you thought about that recently? You are a follower of a man who was a carpenter who lived in Nazareth over 2,000 years ago. You are so convinced that he is Lord that you say, I'm picking up my cross and I'm following him. His way of life is my way of life. I put down my plan, I pick up his. I don't try to fit him into my life. Um, he is my life. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We are followers of Jesus. Singularly followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus... What we want to do our best to do is live in his way. To follow someone means that you apprentice under them and you adopt their way of life. 
That's what we talk about all the time here. The word discipleship kind of gets overused. We try to use the word apprenticeship. We are, we are our students under the way of Jesus. We want to be with him, learn from him, and become like him. And when you look at the life of Jesus, one of those patterns that we can imitate is that Jesus always seemed to have the Psalms on his mind. Jesus quotes from the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book of the Bible. And he often quotes from the Psalms in his darkest, most difficult moments. The most obvious of that is when he's on the cross, experiencing the weight of the sin of the world. And he says, Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, it's kind of like that if you hit a glass of water, you know, water comes out. It's like if you, if you, if you hit Jesus, the Psalms came out. And, and I would want to be the kind of person that when life hits me, I want the Psalms to come out. I want the Psalms to come out like Jesus did. Um, and this is not just Jesus. This is also the, the, the New Testament. Um, I talked about how people can kind of look at the New Testament as divorce from the old. You know, you got the old. You don't need the old anymore. Why? You got the new. It's like, be careful, okay? Um, th that speaks of the, the terms of a covenant. That doesn't speak to what's valuable scripture or not. In fact, it's funny. The terms of the new covenant don't even begin to the end of the gospels when Jesus dies on the cross. And so technically, if we're talking about New Testament, it's not until after he resurrects um, and, and ascends to the right hand of the Father. But here's what's interesting. Now, when people say this, and someone's kind of coming to you and they're like, they're, they're, they're kind of creating this, um, what should I call it, like this or, contradiction or, or, or um, comparison between the Old and the New Testament, remind them that basically what the New Testament is, is explaining the Old Testament. Did you know that? Like, the New Testament, most of Paul's letters are like, this is what it says in the Bible, this is what it means. That's the job of a preacher, by the way, right? And that's what Paul, most of the New Testament is just, here's what it says, and here's how Jesus fulfills that. And, and so when it comes to the, the, the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, uh, the Psalms are not just by Jesus, but by the New Testament as a whole. The Psalms are the most quoted of all the Old Testament books. Of the 283, 283 direct Old Testament quotes in the New Testament, 40% of them, 116, are from the Psalms. So um, one reason uh, there why uh, we, we see that within the life of Jesus, why we should be in the Psalms, they, they make up a, a central part of the New Testament and certainly because of Jesus. Um, and and a kind of a second idea about this is when I say because of Jesus, I don't mean just the Psalms were thought of by Jesus and quoted by Jesus and studied by Jesus, but Jesus taught that the Psalms are all about Jesus. Jesus taught that the Psalms are a portrait, a mosaic that make up the portrait of Jesus. This is Luke 24. Imagine having this Bible study with Jesus. Imagine sitting down with Jesus, resurrected Jesus. Jesus says to his disciples, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Isn't that amazing? Why should we study the Psalms? Because of Jesus. Why should we study the Psalms? Because we'll get to see Jesus in fresh, special, life-changing new ways. The Psalms are all about Jesus. The Psalms address the nature of Christ. You, so you, um, it's interesting. Some of the most essential doctrines of Christianity like, uh, that have to do with like, the study of who was Jesus, which is central to the Christian faith, we don't just follow teachings and ideas. We follow a person who we believe is God. He is Lord of all. 
And some of the main points of those doctrines about what we believe about Christ are found in the book of Psalms. Whether it's his deity or his nature, all throughout the New Testament. The Psalms also prophetically address almost every main area of the work of Christ. Most of the references to what Jesus is doing through the gospel, saving humanity, God's rescue mission, are, are, can be traced back to the Psalms. His rejection is Psalm 118. His betrayal is Psalm 41. His death, Psalm 22. His resurrection, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption, Psalm 16. His ascension to the right hand of the Father, taking his rightful seat, Psalm 68. And his soon coming return, Psalm 110. So the Psalms are all about Jesus. Second reason, this is the last reason um, and the last big idea of this message. Thank you for paying attention today. There's a lot of stuff. Um, why should we study the Psalms? Number one, because of Jesus. Number two, because of what the Psalms teach us. It's a songbook that we can learn from, that we can deeply learn from. A couple ideas of what the Psalms teach us. And Maybe you look at these things and you go, yeah, I've learned that from the Psalms. I hope you do, and I hope we do as a community. Um, I would say largely, other than just seeing Jesus in a clearer, more impactful way over the summer, I, I guess what I'm really praying is that we learn these things through the Psalms generally over the next uh, uh, 10 weeks or so. And I want to say this is not an, an exhaustive list. There are so many things that the Psalms can teach us. Here's a few of those things. First, the Psalms can teach us, and they will teach us, to know God intimately. First, for a reason. The Psalms teach us to know God intimately. Maybe you could say it this way. The Psalms are a tool through which we can know God intimately. The Psalms are mostly prayers, engaging with God. You know, the Psalms is the only book in the Bible that's written exclusively to God. The only book of the Bible that's written exclusively to God. Um, it's interesting, when you, when you contrast the Psalms and the prophets, the prophets, they, it's God speaking to man. This is God's truth. Listen up, we should. Here's God's truth. Hear it, receive it, and obey it. The prophets. God gives us the prophets to speak God's truth. And then God gives us the poets, the Psalms as believers. And what the Psalms do is they lead us to engage with this God who's speaking. They also, let me say this, they describe the human experience with the truth of God. Do you know what I'm talking about there? Do you know what it's like to feel like all we ever do is talk about the truth of God, but it's like, does anybody want to be real about the experience of this stuff? Like how hard it is to believe what you're saying right now? Well, thank God for the Psalms. The Psalms lead us to have an intimate relationship with God, um, especially that it's mostly written by David himself, right, who's this man after God's own heart. The Psalms are like basically his journal, which is like, I wonder if he knew this was going to happen. You, know, you ever think that? Like, did David know that would be included? Like, I hope you don't read my journal, you know, like, and likewise, I'm assuming. But, but the Psalms, it's like we, we get to almost like hijack David's depth of intimacy with God and make it our own. I'll tell you what, man, the Psalms for me have been such a gift when I don't know what to pray. And I'm like, God, I want to know you. I need to step in that. I'll just read the Psalm of the day. And, and put yourself uh, in, in the seat that David had seeking me and, and watch how I take you deeper as you pray to me in this way. Uh, the Psalms not only teach us to know God intimately, the Psalms, we're going to learn this. We're going to learn how the Psalms teach us, this is huge, to approach God honestly. 
which, by the way, is a, a fundamental quality and um, uh, component of intimacy. Um, intimacy is when two people are fully known by each other. Intimacy. Two people are being known deeply by each other. That's the language for Adam and Eve in the beginning. When they conceived, when they came together, they knew one another, naked and unashamed. I'm not hiding anything. And the, the good news of the gospel is that God has, has, hasn't hidden what's true about himself. He has made himself known. And what we're invited to is to do the same. That's intimacy. It's God, I, I want to know you and I want you to know me. I don't want to come before you with some dishonest version of myself. There's a great dialogue about the Psalms between Eugene Peterson, who's the, the author of the Message Translation. It's on YouTube. I recommend it. Uh, Eugene Peterson, and he has a dialogue with Bono from U2. And, and Bono is expressing his frustration with a lot of modern Christian music. And his issue is it's so dishonest. And one of the things he says is like, where's the song about your bad marriage? You know? Everything's awesome. I love her like Christ of the church. Everything's great, right? It's like, where's her version of that song? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and listen, like, now, I'm not advocating for coming before God irreverently. He's our Father in heaven, but He is your Father, okay? I'm advocating, here's what I'm advocating for don't be dishonest in the name of reverence. Don't, don't listen, the, the, the point, and we see it modeled in the Psalms. Be honest with God in coming before him where you are, how you are with whatever you're going through. Okay, here's why you can't hide it from him. There really is no lying to God. All there is is honesty. It's are you willing to be before him? Are you willing to be known by him? Let me give you some examples. This looks like this. It looks like approaching God honestly when you're struggling with sin. Not running away and trying to figure it out and then be appropriate to come back to him. Come to him as you are, where you are with what you're going through. That's, we see that in the Psalms. It's approaching God honestly when we're lonely and we feel abandoned by God. Have you tried that? God, I, here's Jesus. Where are you? I don't see you. Um, approaching God honestly, listen, when you're angry at your enemies, when you're mad at the bullies, go before God. Express that to him. You got to imprecate, imprecate. Do what you got to do, okay? Approaching God honestly when you lose sight of what's true and hopeful. When you've lost sight of that, be honest about that with yourself and be honest about that with God. The Psalms lead us to that. Man, uh, and, and what's so cool about the Psalms is that they, they, uh, they, uh, they address the full range of human experience. Like there's not an emotion that you will feel in life that the Psalms won't lead you to express before God. Um, here are some. Joy. Sorrow, desperation, anger, a vengeful heart, a vengeful heart, confusion, frustration, praise, thankfulness. All right, you have all these different examples, and, and this is what's so beautiful about God. Like, God says, your emotions aren't evil. They're human. I made you that way. Be healthy enough to come to me with them. Don't suppress them. Come to me. Bring them before me. My presence is not a place to bypass your emotions. God would say my presence is a place to process your emotions. Come before me as you are. The Psalms teach us, we'll close with this last one, to behold God hopefully. Invite the band to come out to 
move us with some music here as we close. Lastly, the Psalms teach us to behold God hopefully. Um, and the hope fully is, is, I guess, a pun. I don't know what that is, but it's intended to say, you know, hopefully God's good. No, that's not the Psalms, but to be full of hope. This is what's so beautiful about the, the narrative of the Psalms. In the Psalms, you have this intimate pursuit of God. In that intimate pursuit of God, there's this honesty before him, knowing that he knows all that you are, all that you're going through, all that you're feeling, all that you're experiencing. He knows it. Come before him. The Psalms lead us to come before him honestly. The Psalms lead us in that honesty to lift our eyes to the faithfulness of God every time. In, in other words, um, you need to listen to how you're, how you're doing but your feelings don't have the last word. They should never have the last word. What you must do, and here's how the Psalms lead us, you must lift your eyes above your circumstances. And we see David doing this over and over and over again. You have this like um, consistent phrase in the Psalms, but God. This is how it's going. This is how I'm doing. This is how life seems. But God, I lift my eyes and I behold in a fresh way. I hope in you because despite what I'm going through, this is who you are. Have you lifted your eyes to God recently? Are you in need right now? Maybe your eyes have just been sunk down in despair. You've just been falling short. You've been discouraged. There's been difficult things happening. What have your eyes been focused on? And the Psalms say, fix your eyes on Jesus. Lift your eyes above the waves. Be honest about where you're at, but behold God. There's nothing worth beholding like God because nothing is bigger than God. So I'm going to behold him and be filled with hope. And in my mind's eye as I'm beholding God, I'm remembering that this God who I learn about in Scripture, he knows me by name, and he sent his son Jesus to die for me. Behold that. You're worrying today about God. Remember, he sent his son Jesus for you. To be sin on your behalf because of your problem. To make you, through his sacrifice, the righteousness of God in him. This is the good news of the gospel. We have all fallen away. We have all strayed away. But look at the hero of the Psalms, Jesus. God sent his son Jesus to reconnect you to life in God, to reconnect you to the life you were created for as he went to that cross, as he rose from the grave, as he ascended to the right hand of God. Lift your eyes to Jesus. Fix your focus on him. That's what David, that's what Jesus, that's what the Psalms teach us to do. Amen. 